Welcome to the 175th episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner 48 studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's episode, Eric Hayes, the Terp, uh, I guess the Terp great of Jordan and I's lifetime, joins us on the podcast to discuss the upcoming basketball season, gives us some of his thoughts on the NBA draft, Jalen Smith, and of course, Terps basketball, which is starting here in, what, just about a week, Jordan? Yes, it is, and good thing for us it is because there's no football game this week, as we just learned today. Yeah, concerning news out of the Terps program, Coach Loxley tested positive for COVID-19. He said that he is feeling fine quarantining at home, along with seven other support staff members, along with about 15 players. Uh, the Terps canceled their game last week against Ohio State and now officially called this week's game against Michigan State off. Uh, a game that I think a lot of Terps fans wanted to see because we felt like there was a good chance that we would come out uh, victorious this weekend. Yeah, and I guess we're starting off with that instead of the rundown today. It really sucks. There's no other way to even try to spin it. Like, the Ohio State game, you could kind of be, be like, do, you could do what I did, which is say, oh, well, you're, you're going to lose that one anyway. That would have sucked to watch. And I think a lot of people did that. It was really easy to swallow that one because we knew who we were playing. This one, we still know who we were playing, but we thought we could win this one. And also, the situation looks worse than it did before. Yeah, and, and that's my biggest concern. You know, player safety, as I said on the last episode, will always uh, be in the forefront of the decision-makers' minds at the University of Maryland. And it was looking good up until yesterday where practice was expected to go from sources. Then at the last second, it looked like they got the test back and, and it was canceled. And from that point on, uh, people that were tied in, people that were following the situation very closely uh, felt like, that was just a precursor to this game being canceled. Turns out that's the truth uh, today around, I think it was right around noontime, uh, the final decision came from the university, and it was first reported by the stadium's Brett McMurphy. Yeah, so uh, we'll swing back around to that one. Let's just clear our rundown out real quick. Um, just two or three items, excuse me, today, two of which are NCAA news items. First of which, the NCAA men's basketball tournament will reportedly be held in one single city this year, Indianapolis, at a variety of locations around town. Um, not too surprising, probably a good decision. And I'm kind of excited, you know, if there's one place I'd do this, it'd be Indianapolis. Yeah, I feel like there's a handful of locations, uh, the DMV being one of them that has the stadium capacity. But a lot of places around the country have the indoor venues for this. Indianapolis, of course, Indiana, always a great place to host basketball events. Women's basketball point guard Ashley Owasu has been named to the Women's Naismith Trophy watch list and the Wade watch list, two National Player of the Year trophies in women's basketball. Great for her, and and it looks like Brenda's girls are, again, going to be right in the conversation in the top ten. Yeah, Ashley Owasu really was a standout last year as a freshman, second team all Big Ten, I believe over 15 points a game, although I don't remember that for sure. She really um, took over the one spot, and it looks to be a potential grade in Maryland, but of course we have to wait and see on that. And finally, the NCAA's recruiting dead period has been extended April 15th. Again, not too surprising, but kind of this time, you're a little bit hopeful that maybe by then, things will actually be under control. Yeah, maybe. and I'm very surprised, you know, and you got to let some things go on. And yes, sure, in-person campus visits can't happen, but I'm not exactly sure why the dead period's been extended. Kids are getting their grades, figuring out what schools they can qualify for, but 
they're not going to be able to talk to those coaches and those universities to figure out, you know, if it's a viable option or not. Not exactly sure why this was the case. Can can they still do Zooms or is this an in-person dead period? I think it's just an in-person dead period. Well, then kind of take back by the rest of my situation or statement there. My bad. Um, yeah, I would just love to see, you know, people start to get to do things safely again. But uh, with, with the way this situation is going right now, it's becoming more and more challenging to play these games, to have, you know, even people on campuses again. Uh, it's not looking good for the second semester around America for, for our college students. No, it's not. And just going back to dead period really quickly, um, I, I do know this. I heard this from a coach that I am familiar with. <laughs> players are still going to campus. Like, a lot of players are just on their own dime, or their, uh, well, their parents' dime, more accurately, just visiting schools because, like, you're not going to commit to play somewhere without going there, even if you can't talk to the coach. And he was saying, like, well, I can't, you know, talk to... I know the players are on campus, and I can't talk to them because it would violate the rules. It's kind of ridiculous, I feel like. And I understand, again, I really do understand what they're trying to do here, which is you don't want to have that, the people flying around the country talking to each other at the moment, which is, that's kind of what everybody's doing, but it's a bit ridiculous because you're going to do what you're going to do anyway, right? Right, and then that's part of a line of thinking that I think more and more people are agreeing with as time goes on and on here, which is, let's just say, and this is an example completely made up Jordan you're a club player let's say for a sport that that played a summer tournament you were a junior in high school last year uh you grew three inches you're now a player that's getting d1 looks as opposed to d3 you haven't talked to a coach in person you haven't you know seen many campuses you haven't gone on any official visits but you're now looking at the second semester you're looking at decision time for your college what do you do you know, how can you make that decision that's best for you? Because, you know, in the NCAA's mind, they're trying to do or supposedly doing everything that's best for the student-athlete, yet you're this up-and-coming player who just kind of caught on, got some late looks, you know, maybe got some D1 offers. How do you make that decision, or do you just go D3 to the guys that have been recruiting you your whole time in high school? And there's a really good example of that, actually, that you brought that up, because NDSU, my um, school, student, my alma mater, by the way, um just got a commit from a kid from the Minneapolis area who had was holding a Power 5 offer and could have had more. He really blossomed over the last year, but he went to commit NSU because he said he just he visited, he knew the coaching staff already, and it was an easy choice for him, and that's happened. There are a lot of players that's happened with because they already were recruited by mid-majors or smaller or D2 or D3 schools, and they know what's going on with that. You're not going to commit to a Power 5, Power 6 in college basketball school just because they're that's who they are. Like you still have to make the best decision for you and for a lot of kids, it's just who they are you knew. Like that's just what it was. You're not gonna commit with somebody who you don't know. Right, and and that's what I would do, you know, that's the call that I would make. And and I don't want to take a chance to end up in the transfer portal, you know, having to navigate those waters. I would rather just go to a place where I know everybody and, and that's that's kind of the situation that I think a lot of people are in. Uh, Jordan, let's hit the Terps in the pros for the NFL. Yes, and we'll start, as always, with Jermaine Carter Jr. of the Carolina Panthers. His second straight week with four tackles, 17 defensive snaps, his second straight week with over 10 on defense. Uh, Jermaine, after a slow start to his season, 
that stepped into a bigger role for the Panthers. Unfortunately, the Panthers have fallen off a cliff in the process. Yeah, great to see Jermaine back there. Yeah, not too good for the Panthers. Uh, hopefully McCaffrey gets back and they can find some wins. Another touchdown, though, for DJ Moore, who we'll get to uh, in a little bit here. Moving on to Byron Cowart with the Patriots. Started for the fourth straight week, two total uh, tackles. Four-week low on defensive snaps with 29, but they get the win over uh, the hometown Ravens in a really ugly game in the rain. Yeah, um, quick tangent. Mason, you kind of cover the Ravens now. What the heck happened to a team that was supposed to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, seeing a lot of teams adapt the you know, Chargers model that beat them a few years in the playoffs, beat them a few years ago in the playoffs when Lamar first came onto the scene, and the Titans method that beat them last year. You pack the box, you bring a safety up, and, and you force the quick outs or, or the deep balls, and... Right now for Baltimore, they don't have the quarterback with the arm for that. You know, that, that pass pattern that's uh, so essential to the NFL offense, a 15-yard quick out where the ball goes uh, straight over the first zone, the the short zone player, and, and you hit the kind of in-between the zones. Lamar seemingly can't throw that ball. They won't run that play. And they're lacking, uh, still lacking that big-time wide receiver. Hollywood Brown, as good as he is, he's 5'8". A guy like J.C. Jackson gets physical in his grill. Uh, he can't make... He can't make it happen. Devin Duvernay, as much as I like him as a player, and, and Jordan does too, uh, he's a fourth-round draft pick in the NFL. You know, he did make big plays at Texas, but it hasn't transferred as well for him. They don't have DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs. They need that level guy to win in this league. Yep, and for uh, next season to find out if the Ravens ever find a true 1A receiver, uh, Sean Davis on the archival Steelers, records two tackles, his first two tackles of the season, and a season-high five defensive snaps, nine on special teams. Rough road for Sean, but he finally made the stat sheet. Yeah, he did. And and how bad, again, how bad was Sean Davis in Washington's camp? How was he not still on that team as a starter? I'm not exactly sure, but... You know, he's found his way into a roster. He's getting more snaps as the season goes on. Again, big play against Baltimore. He was on in the last play of the game. He played a little bit last week. Now he's starting to get into the rotation this week. Um, his playing time's trending up as the season goes on. Uh, Stefan Diggs, someone you just mentioned, Mason, got 10 catches on 10 targets, 93 catches, one touchdown that looked to be a game winner. And we cannot, I know we're on podcast, but we can't not discuss the Cardinals-Bills game. Yeah, great play at the end there by Kyler Murray. I uh, really thought Diggs had won the game for Buffalo, but DeAndre Hopkins is a different different breed kind of player, even though, and this is somebody that coached football for a long time that was one of my teachers in high school, the guy that catches the Hail Mary is like the most overblown that's like the most overhyped play in football. You know, it's just a quarterback throwing the ball up and some guy down there coming down with it. It's just like, you know, you write the interceptions off when they happen on those plays. You got to write the touchdowns off. But great play by the Cardinals to even put themselves in that situation in such a short timetable. And DeAndre Hopkins, because he's DeAndre Hopkins, furthers his, his legacy that he's building very quickly. Yep, and Stephon Diggs almost had a career signature play. Oh, well, another chance will come along, hopefully. Well, uh, he's already had that. Hold on, hold on. He's already had that career signature play. Yes, he's already had the career signature play in Minnesota, so that maybe you uh, feel a little less bad for him, but he's had a great game. A couple of DNPs for Pittsburgh and Trey Edmonds and Derwin Gray. 
J.C. Jackson has set the New England franchise record with five straight interceptions and five straight games. Holy moly. Yeah, J.C., great ball skill player, was the same at Maryland. We talked about that last week. Uh, boy, you got to look at that pass rush for the Terps and really think they missed something. Ellis, Savage, Brooks, um, and J.C. Jackson, and they, they weren't getting stops on defense. They, they were still getting run through like Swiss cheese. Uh, really tough tough um, kind of look for Terps fans, but great, great season for J.C. Jackson. Jordan, a guy that you left off this list, Antoine Brooks, active active for the Steelers this week and getting snaps. Oh, I did miss that. Good catch, Mason. Um, Quinn Jefferson and Ty Johnson, here's the thing, and I'm being real, I don't know what's going on with this. Quinn Jefferson, I know, played in that game in Arizona, but on no site, I looked on like four different websites, did he have any stats? But I know he was there because I saw him like, at least on the sideline with in uniform. So I don't know what's up with that. Same thing with Ty Johnson. So apologies. If you can find them, I'm good on you. Anthony McFarlane did not play. He was sick. And Mason, DJ Moore, your guy, had a pretty good game. Yeah, another touchdown for DJ Moore just keeps doing his thing. Second highest yardage total of the season with 96 on four catches. A touchdown for him. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, he's not doing much in Baltimore. Really disappointing for a lot of the Ravens fans, but they are very injured along with the other issues that we discussed a couple of seconds ago. Two tackles on only 43% of the snaps and rolling it out uh, with Darnell Savage. Five tackles for him, two passes defended. Best game uh, for Savage in a while. Josh Woods was the other player that kind of got cut off of our outline here uh, due to some technical difficulties. Jordan, he didn't do much in their Monday night loss to the Vikings. One more Terp note, Javon Leak today official with the Washington football team on the practice squad. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him as soon as Sunday as the kick and punt returner as they've had some trouble uh, with with number 15 Sims uh, bobbling the ball and, and making some ill-advised play plays. They could really use the big play factor that Leak will bring in the kickoff game. And then around the Big Ten, lightning around today because we're already dragging this a little bit long and we still have Eric Hayes to get to. Um, the headliner, there's a couple headliners, but the headliner this week has got to be Indiana at Ohio State. Indiana, despite the fact they are 4-0 and number 9, is a 20-and-a-half-point dog to the Buckeyes. Mason, which side of the, of the line you fought on today? Yeah, I like Indiana to keep it close. Um, tough, tough game. You know, really tough to judge because Ohio State didn't play last week against the Terps. And Indiana has been able to play every game. Now, Penix, uh, I'm not sold on Michael Penix. I think he's a really good college quarterback, but he he, he looks like uh, Haskins with the footwork. And it is purely footwork-based. The release and the footwork. Inconsistent release, inconsistent footwork from Penix. A really slow release. If Ohio State can get after him in the pass rush, which they've struggled a little bit this year, they went big. I don't think they get to him that quickly. Penix got some time. Uh, Filiar's been really good. Their tight end, Freifogel, has been great. Um, I like Indiana's offense to keep it close to the shootout. All right, but if, again, if Hoosiers win this one, oh boy, what a season it will be. Um, the other game of significant note is number 10 Wisconsin and number 19 Northwestern in a battle that, even though you can't really count Purdue out, it feels like this is going to be a crucial game in the Big Ten West. Well, it is going to be a crucial game in the Big Ten West. Uh, I like Wisconsin in this one. They've been so good this year. It looks like they finally found themselves a serviceable quarterback. 
Uh, for Northwestern, though, they've found ways to win this year, and you always got to like a team that that does that. Uh, the Cats have struggled to win this game in years past. I think that continues. I, I like Wisconsin. Um, we're just going to hit two more. We're going to skip over some ones this week. Iowa at Penn State. It's not really that interesting except for the fact that Penn State, you know, is one of the most desperate teams in the country to win a game right now. Yeah, and it does not come this week. Interesting quote from Kirk Ferentz, a guy that I'm quite familiar with. Um, you know, he, he when asked about Penn State, he was like, he's just not sure what's wrong there. Uh, a thing to watch if you're if you're kind of into, I guess, the betting spreads of this game. Penn State, not sure who they're going to play at quarterback. He either uh, leaves, I believe, or Levi's his name, uh, the backup quarterback that wears number seven, or Sean Clifford. Very, very intriguing if this is to be the end of Sean Clifford's career at Penn State. And the last game we're going to discuss today is Michigan at Rutgers, simply for the reason that Michigan has fallen into every game as a must-watch. Yeah, um, really, really tough. If they lose, I think Harbaugh's done. I don't think they lose. Uh, Michigan finds a way to win. I'm not really sure what the score is going to look like in this one, but Rutgers, you know, they, they found a way to get one win, and I think they might have to be happy with that. Very possibly. Um, let's swing back to it really quickly, Mason. Maryland, Michigan State canceled. Of course, you have to take player health and safety first and coach health and safety, you hope, because you know Mike Loxley's in that more vulnerable range. You hope he does well, as well as the rest of the coaching staff. Um, but it's just, it's really bizarre when it's your team, the one that's sidelined. Yeah, it is, and, and that's kind of, it's tough to watch, you know. I was really excited for these kids. It seemed like they had a lot of uh, good things going for them this year. And it's just it's hard to see them, you know. A lot of these guys really wanted to play this year. They put a lot of effort into getting the season going. And, and sure, they had a little lapse with COVID um, in the off season, But it seemed like things were going well. They were taking all the right protocols, doing all the right testing. But you're right. Player safety always comes first. Uh, winnable games are not. You know, if you're 0-4 or 4-0, it comes first. You know, these guys uh, got to do what's best, especially with the holiday coming up. I hope they're all isolating, staying away from their older family members. But, you know, it's just it's it's tough to see. And, and it's, it's sad in a sense, but at the same time, so many teams have gone through it this year. You just pray and hope that everyone stays safe and we can see some football soon. Now, I'm not sure if they play again this season. I'm kind of on the side of they. we won't see Maryland football again this year. But, you know, that's neither here nor there right now. It's about player safety, keeping these kids monitored, making sure nothing comes up with heart conditions. And then uh, when it's appropriate and safe and, and the right time to get back on the field, they do that and, and they play a solid game. I'll preach to that. And uh, I think it's about time for some hoops, Mason. Yeah, let's get to Eric Hayes, but before that interview kicks off, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied has what you need to host your event outside and safely tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories. They can provide it all in a safe manner. You can reach them at 301-986-0067 or on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Now, let's get to Eric Hayes. Now we welcome back into the Young Terps podcast one of Jordan and I's favorite Terps of all time, Eric Hayes. Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? We're doing well. Um, 
Well, first off, catch Terp Nation up. What has Eric Hayes been up to over the last, I don't know, now eight months uh, of COVID? Oh, man, I've just been working, man. I've, uh, I'm building houses down here in Nashville, and, uh, you know, our our work really hasn't hasn't slowed much, thankfully. Um, you know, we've just been continuing to build houses, and luckily we haven't been uh, – have been shut down so it's been it's been pretty good all right and that and that's great to hear uh let's kind of flip back to the terps last year i mean a really disappointing end uh to well i won't call it disappointing big 10 regular season championship but not getting to see this team in the ncaa tournament what were your kind of thoughts on that i mean you had a tragic end to your maryland career but at least at least it had a real ending what were your kind of feelings around guys like Ant and Sticks that aren't going to get to put the jersey on again? Yeah, I mean, that would have been tough to swallow. You know, I think, uh, obviously, with the year they had, you know, you know, winning a share of the, the regular season and, and hopes of, you know, having a team that could to make a deep run in the, in the postseason, uh, not even getting the opportunity would be a, a complete buzzkill. And I'm, uh, I feel real, real bad for those guys who didn't get to finish out their careers the right way. Yeah, that that was must have been really tough for them. Um, let's swing back to the draft. We're actually going to do this yesterday, but we forgot the draft was today. Weird to have November draft. Yeah. Um, first for Maryland, Jalen Smith went a lot higher than most people thought at number ten, but I think he's a really good fit down in Phoenix. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think uh, you know he's got a he's got a skill set that uh, I think they could use. You know, having a stretch four guy to pick and pop and pick and roll catch lobs and rebound and defend and block shots i mean i think i think every nba team could could use a lot of that and uh, i think he's you know obviously athletic enough to to get out and, and, and guard some different positions on pick and rolls and i think he can continue to improve on on that part of his game i think he could be a you know a real nice real nice fit for phoenix yeah kind of going back to his team there in Phoenix he also gets to play with one of the all-time great point guards Chris Paul how do you think it will affect him you know entering the professional basketball world having a guy that's so experienced and loves to spread the ball around yeah I mean Chris Paul I mean obviously he's one of the one of the best point guards to ever play so I mean that's having that knowledge as as a big guy he's one of the best pick and roll players also so I think having him around and just having the knowledge that he can going there and soaking that knowledge from him and the other other veterans on the team, I think is, you know, really going to help his career to have somebody, you know, that you can look up to and, and can, can follow their lead, you know, because a lot of, a lot of times you, you get into situations where you get drafted into spots where they don't have that and you're kind of just on your own. And he's, uh, I think he's lucky to, lucky to have that there. Swing back to the hometown Wizards. Um, interesting draft night for the Wiz. They picked up another European big man this time. Denny, I'm going to try this. I believe it's Avia or something on those lines at number nine. And then Cassius Winston in an aggressive move, trading for him at 53. I, just because we're Big Ten fans by default now, really, I'm really more excited to see Cassius Winston play for the Wizards, but a good uh, pairing of guys, I think, for this team as they try to reload for a playoff run. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, how Cassius uh, translates into the NBA. You know, he's not the most athletic guy, but he's very, you know, shifty and crafty. And I think uh, there, there's some guys who have, who have, who have made it, you know, kind of like a Van Fleet type who is not the most athletic guy but really knows how to play and is a winner and, you know, comes from, you know, a great program with Izzo. So I think, uh, you know, that, 
he could be a, a solid solid rotation player for for the Wizards here in the future. Uh, and then I don't I don't know a whole lot about the guy from Israel. I've seen you know highlights from him. It looks like he's a he's a guy who can you know kind of do it all on the court and, and he's got great knowledge of the game and got a good feel for the game. So I think just seeing his highlights and a little bit of clips of his games, it looks like you know he knows how to play and, and, and he's got a great feel for the game. And Eric, you personally have experience playing in Europe. I think you played um Spain and Lithuania. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So everybody's always interested in this. The European basketball style is quite different than Americans. Why are the Europeans doing so well in the NBA these days? Uh, I don't know. I think there's a couple couple different reasons. I mean, I think the the player development, I think from a young age over there, is is really uh really harped upon. Um, you know, even you know if you're a big if you're a small guy, you know, you're doing all the guards drills, you're doing all the shooting and ball handling and passing and, and really having a, a full repertoire regardless of your position. And I think that really helps when it comes to, you know, when guys come over to the NBA, you know, they can pass. And I think over there as well that, you know, they play a style of basketball where they're not really, they're not really doing a whole lot of pick and roll and just stationary stuff. There's a lot of more ball movement and, you know, it's it's becoming a little more like that overseas um, as the years have gone on. But I think they just uh, they know how to play team ball, and you know they just don't they don't stick the ball doesn't stick when 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 they get it. You know they had to they know how to move the ball, they know how to to, to run offense and and who to get the, the ball to. So I think there's just a couple of different um, factors in the development and the style of play that they're coming from. And now moving on to what the Terps may look like this year. First off, you know, you went to college and it was normal times, kind of in air quotes there. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. going in, in the current climate where you're really trying to stay with, with your teammates 100% of the time? And, and I mean, College Park just isn't College Park right now. Yeah, and I really, I honestly couldn't imagine it. Um, I feel real bad for these guys that, that, you know, they have to kind of be quarantined within themselves and don't get to do the normal things that, you know, normal college kids are, are, are usually doing. And, uh, you know, I know it's, you know, it's all to, to try to get, get this season in, <clears throat> but, uh, it would be, it would be pretty tough. And yeah, this year for the basketball team in particular is going to be a little bit different. There's only six non-conference games on the schedule for the Terps, which is of course the first thing you're going to notice when you look at the, when you look at the schedule, how yeah. do you think that's going to affect the team? They only have a few probably weeks to put together before the conference starts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how, how big of a deal it will be. Cause my, a lot of people are in, everybody's in the same boat. Um, but you know, I think, uh, you know, they're doing a, probably doing a little more, a little more scrimmaging and practices, trying to get some more five on fives to, uh, you know, get the offense and defensive game, game games rolling. Um, I don't think it should be, I mean, that big of a, a deal when it gets to getting into big, big 10 play. And kind of looking at the roster this year, you have a big kind of step up for guys like Ayello, Wiggins. I'm not really going to say for Morsell because he's been consistent over his time, but really focusing on Wiggins and Ayello, how do you think, what's the mindset change for them? You know, now now they're supposed to be the guys as opposed to Cowan, Fernando, and, and Jalen Smith. How, how do you, you know, gear up going into, for both of them, what's a crucial junior year? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts, you know, as the season ended last year, you know, you, you kind of 
see the forecast of what next year is going to look like. And you kind of know that, Hey, you know, it's going to be my time to, to step up. So I, I hope, hoping they were, um, you know, really working hard in the off season to improve their games and, and get ready for this season. Because like you said, I mean, we lost a lot, you know, Anthony had a lot on his hands and he, he made a lot of stuff go for, for this team. And, uh, I think, you know, Ayala is going to have that kind of responsibility to make a lot of plays and, and, and do those types of things. But I think it's going to be more of a kind of a, a team effort when it comes to, you know, him and Morcel and Wiggins and, you know, Scott and Hart and all the guys kind of contributing, you know, together to, to make up for, you know, what we've lost with, you know, with Sticks and, and Anthony. Yeah, and speaking of the roster, Eric, I think the biggest question that we're facing right now is who do you think is going to be taking the center minutes? Because you see some people saying Dante Scott might have to step into it. Maybe Sean Mariello steps up. It's going to be a really a uh, big, I guess you call it X factor in this. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, with the the two transfers as well, what kind of roles they're going to play, um, as well as you know having having show there. I think it may have a little to do with the matchups and and who who can guard who. You know, I think if there's a team that we don't have, you know, a, a dominant big man that can score on the low block. I think, you know, you can get Scott out there at the five some and have him guard and just have kind of a smaller team. I think overall we have, you know, pretty good size from, you know, one to five. And I think that's really going to help uh, kind of be the strong point of this team is the defensive end where they can switch a lot of stuff and a lot of guys can guard different positions. And then a guy that I just have to ask, or, or more about the role that he's stepping into is Aquan Smart. He's coming in as a point guard. He may have to really kind of play that one role if if they, you know, are forced into a position where Ayala and Wiggins. Wiggins has to play the three. Ayala the two. It will be a freshman guard in there. What's that transition like? You know, you're playing floor general as a freshman. How how, how do you get your game ready to go at the college level, uh, especially in a spot where you really can't scrimmage another team in in the season? You don't have as uh, many non-conference kind of give me games. Oh yeah, I mean, I think I think nowadays, I mean, I think I think guys are much more prepared um, <clears throat> to come in and, and and start right away and contribute and and do well. You know, these kids are you're playing you know the AAU circuit now with they're playing against the top top players in the country every every weekend, and I think you know these guys have confidence they can come in and and and, and do what they need to do to 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 come in and, and contribute right away. You know if if it's him, I have to play the point, or if he's it's kind of a combo, kind of like myself and Gravis did our freshman years, kind of going on and off point to guard and kind of switching off and seeing, you know, just how each each guy's playing and 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 what what they're doing at the at that certain time. I mean, I think uh, I think guys are, are capable now of coming in and, and and holding holding the fort down, um, depending on how much you know he has to has to handle. Oh, a question, uh, sorry, a player I need to ask about, and the role he's going to be stuck into is Daryl Morcel, because Daryl has been kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but he's played a lot of the four, despite the fact to me he's obviously a wing. Do you think that's a problem? Because I know a lot of people get worked, and actually about it, but I'm kind of, at this point, in the mindset, if it works, it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's in a, a little bit of a, a, a tweener role right now, kind of his size and his... Um, his abilities, I think, kind of put him at a spot where he's, you know, I think he's more of a three man, you know, that, that gets to the basket and can score around the rim. Um, and he's, but the the thing is, on the defensive end, he's got the ability to, you know, to guard the four and not 
and not to be a disadvantage for us. So I think on the offensive end, that helps us um, when it comes to matching up with, with teams. So I think that gives us an advantage on the offensive end that maybe some four, four man's got to guard him who's not as quick and not as you know agile as him. And uh, I think that gives us a little bit of advantage. So it can go either way. Um, but I think as of now, I mean, I think for the most part, we've kind of been playing, you know, <clears throat> it's almost just four guards and one big for the most part. So I think it's all kind of interchangeable. Uh, I, I kind of need to follow that up because I've had this question in the back of my head for a couple of years now. Would you consider Maryland's system a four-round one? Because they certainly have committed to four guards quite a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and, and look at film and stuff, but it appears, I mean, that there's there's a lot, especially with, with Cowan and, and Mello, there's a lot of, you know, them having the ball and, and trying to create, you know, whether it be off of just a motion, just four out, one in, or a you know a pick and roll here or there to to get downhill and make plays for other people. So I think that's kind of what because we've had those those type of guards who who are great with the ball in their hands and can make plays and can score. I think that's kind of what they've been riding. The other thing that sticks out when you look at this year's team compared to uh, really any other year in the history of college basketball is the fact that once they get into the Big Ten, they have times where they're going to be playing back to backs. You know. They go at Penn State. They're playing Friday, Saturday, two games. Then they follow it up at Ohio State, the eighth and the ninth. Could you imagine doing that? You know, playing the same team back to back days. How would that feel? Uh, kind of going back to your playing days. That would feel really weird. Um, you know, we normally didn't have any games within you know three days of each other for the most part um, back when I played. And uh, you know, having this condensed schedule, you know, really we'll test, you know, the depth of the team. You know, I think, you know, we, we've got a bunch of guys who can, can contribute <clears throat> and log minutes. Um, so I think that's going to be, you know, the, the true test is, you know, in those in those second nights of the back-to-back, kind of like an NBA where, you know, guys are, are taking rest. But I don't think it will be as drastic as, you know, in, in, the, in the NCAA as it is in the NBA. But, you know, having that depth is going to be real key in those situations. Two, two kind of follow-ups to that. One, do you think those mm-hmm. those second games could get a little more physical and chippy? And two, do you think the defense will kind of fall off going into the second one? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely a possibility that, you know, your leg's a little tired. Um, you're not moving as well. You may be found a little more and reaching a little more. And the game may be a little bit uglier. And that second night, um, for the most part, is what, what I would imagine. All right, go um, ahead, Jordan. So... Yeah. So my question was tying into last season. We kind of, we really saw the effect of having a functional six or seven man rotation. That can't be a thing this season with the back to backs. You really have to hope the depth improves. Is I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase this. Do you think that's going to be a weakness on this team? Because I know it's hard to tell before the season starts of who's actually going to play. But we've always seemed to have under Turton this depth problem where we got in playing seven guys or so. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be really even feasible with back-to-backs in the rotation this year? I mean, I think it'd obviously be tougher to to stick to a, you know a a seven-man rotation if you're having back-to-backs. But uh, you know, certain guys like <clears throat> like Cowan and Mello and those guys, I mean, they could they could handle those types of minutes, and uh, I think they would be able to be capable of doing it. You know, we'll see. We'll see how these other guys, you know, now that their roles are changing and they may be, you know, getting into the 30s when it comes to minutes played. 
uh, how they handle it, how their bodies handle it. I know Kyle does a great job of getting the guys recovered and, and, and having them ready for the games. But it's, I think it's going to be really, really important this year to have uh, some other guys that can step up and log some, some real good minutes in these, in these back-to-backs. And, Jen, as we kind of wrap up our questions here, you have no fans at City Center, at least not in the foreseeable future. That is going to be interesting. But one thing I noticed in the NBA bubble down in Orlando was it almost felt more like basketball, like more pure without fans. I just want to know what your take was because I thought it was a really weird sensation watching it without fans this, this last NBA season. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't really enjoy watching without the fans. I think the fans bring a lot of different elements to to the game um especially obviously i've, I've played in xfinity with with the fans there it's gonna be it's gonna be a little weird i mean obviously you do it in practice every day but when it really counts um it's gonna be a little bit a little bit strange um but luckily you know everybody's dealing with the same issues and uh everybody's home court is gonna be you know a little less tough so uh i think the 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 playing field will be fairly fairly even and then, and then, the, and we're really doing that a lot today. I'll just wrap it up. Just um, one more question then is: Do you think this team's going to be good or bad this year? It's a really hard one to answer because I think we all have a lot of unknowns. But that is the question I guess ultimately everybody wants to know. Well, um, let's see here. I mean, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough to, to know. I mean, before the season starts, I mean, it's just there's so many question marks of transfers and freshmen and. And guys are stepping up into new roles, but I think we have enough. I think we have enough coming back to, you know, be a, be a good team this year. Obviously, the Big Ten is going to be a, uh, a a tough a tough road ahead with all the teams that are you know ranked highly. Um, but you know, I think if if we can become a great defensive team, like I think this team's got the capability of doing, uh, I think we can be in, in more games than, than people may may expect. And then my kind of question to wrap it up is. What is your one guy that really needs to step up this year, take that next step, and, and really lead this team? Oh, I think the easy an- I mean, I think the easy answer is is Ayala. Um, I think he's the one guy who's 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 shown he's a a capable playmaker um, when it comes to the, with the ball in his hands. Um, you know, he's he's got to he's got to be a guy who who is getting you know you know above four four assists a game and, and scoring in double figures every night for us. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously Wiggins has, has a high ceiling. I think he needs to uh, improve on his last year. You know, I think he can, can shoot the ball a little better than what he did. Um, I think he, he's got a great chance of stepping up and, and becoming a, you know, like an all, all big 10 type of player. And Eric, we would like to thank you for coming on. And if you want to throw out your Twitter handle, Eric, uh, he he loves to live tweet the games, everything DC sports. If you want to throw it out there, go ahead. Yeah, it's just EK Hayes five. Very simple. All right, and thanks for joining us, Eric. It's always a nice time here having you on the Young Turps to talk Turps basketball, which is getting started. I think um, what in the next week? Yeah, it's coming quick. Coming quick. I'm excited for it. And that was Eric Hayes. Follow him on Twitter. He's, all, he's always fun during. If you're a Washington fan, he's a really fun guy to follow. Yeah, he is. And he's always a great um, basketball conversation to have. Yeah, he is right. Though. This team is really, even for us and Mason, we're pretty good at doing this, I feel like. But this is a really hard team to predict. 
Yeah, and, and there's so many question marks. I mean, guys that we didn't talk about are Galen Smith and, and Jarius Hamilton, two guys that are really going to need to step up for the Terps. It's hard to judge, and, and for a lot of us, we aren't really going to get to see it until they play Navy. That first game uh, against Old Dominion on the 25th is on BTN+. Plus. I know we'll discuss in this household about purchasing it, but for one game, I, I can't justify it, Jordan. Oh, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we'll end up buying it, but we'll see. That does suck. Though. I hate it when they do that. Yeah, and we didn't go over the schedule in depth like we're kind of about to do. But we're going to breeze through it. We'll maybe get to a next episode. Um, yeah, Old Dominion, Navy, Mount St. Mary's, and Monmouth started off. Then we got George Mason, Macy's Big Ten Challenge, Rutgers, LaSalle, and then we're into the Big Ten schedule. I mean, it's just that non-conference is so disorientingly short. Yeah, it is, but I really like it. And, and I was talking to Bruce about this, and... and We'll get into it on on our radio segment on Saturday a little bit. I like it. You're playing Old Dominion. You're playing Navy, Mount St. Mary's. I mean, we're talking local teams. George Mason, Monmouth is a bus trip. Uh, LaSalle, the same thing. You know, all these non-conference teams, I know a lot of people that go to about just about every one of these schools. Jordan, I'm sure you do also from high school. They're just more personal games than playing San Jose State on a Tuesday night at Xfinity. You know, it's. I'm not gonna disagree with. Oh, just, I'm not gonna disagree with you. I know what you're saying, but it. I'm, and again, my only knock is it's really short. We're gonna have to see what happens this year, though. Maryland, as many people point out, is going to suffer without some core advantage more than almost any other team in the Big Ten. That, that's not just my opinion. That's a really common opinion. Maryland gets great, has great numbers at home in conference historically speaking, some of the best in the country, and without that home court advantage, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. Well, it will be. Whatever and, happens. And I didn't really mean to cut you off there, but going back to what you just said, Maryland suffers to bring their own juice in basketball. That crowd gives them so much more than just, you know, people cheering for them. It seems to, you know, they come alive. The The fans stay in it. You know, you go back to a game like Illinois or Nebraska last year, two games that shouldn't, I mean, Illinois had a really strong finish, but... You know, games that they were down, and you can just feel the fans propel them more and more and more as the game goes on and on. Um, they're not going to have that. They're not going to come back. You're not going to see a lot of the upsets. And and I think it's going to take a lot out of college basketball, going back to what Eric said. For college, I see it having way more of an effect uh, on the atmosphere and the reason why I watch than, than the NBA, which I'm not a huge fan of to start with. Yeah, and that is something that we're... It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I'll just say that. Because you're right. College basketball is one of the most atmosphere-driven sports. Even more so than college football, you could argue. Because college football, you can still watch. Like, you still watch Ohio State and Penn State play because you want to see the game. When you watch Duke and Carolina play, you're watching because of it, the whole thing. It's the atmosphere and the game. And that's really going to be missing this season. And I don't want to say too much else because I kind of want to see how the season starts to play out, even against these lower-tier opponents. Just see what we got before I really make any predictions. But it's going to be... I'm also going to say, I'm also going to be surprised if we make it through the season intact. I don't know. I have my doubts that we're even going to finish this college basketball season, but we'll see. Yeah, and very much so are mine. And the other thing is, I, I completely disagree. A game like the Penn State Whiteout or, you know, there's a handful of them. The rivalry games in college football where the atmosphere is, it's a huge part of it, you know? And 
I just kind of disagree with that. When it comes to, I think there's a difference between pro and college. College, I love college sports for the reason that it's part of a community more so, I feel, and part of a, you know, just traditions, and, and it's there, and, and the students and the alumni and all of that. That's why I love college sports, you know, more so than the pros. The pros, you know, they play they play professional sports, you know. They can live without the fans. Their product is more so the game than the atmosphere and the family and the tailgating. That That's all there, but it's it's secondary to the game. For college, I feel like, you know, that family and the tailgating and the partying and the, you know, just that nonstop energy feel, that's what makes college sports something special and, and makes it different than anything else. Oh, I can't disagree with that at all, so we'll just leave it there. Um, maybe we'll get into more previewing next episode, maybe tonight, um, on Sunday as I return to the DMV for a week or so, because as we know, there's going to be no game this Saturday, so as well just do another basketball preview. We'll extend it to episodes. How about that? Yes, we will. And I guess Jordan, Jordan just hit us with the episode preview for next time. So I'll wrap it up there. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates in Rockville, for all of your business IT needs. Viner Four Gates, your place to go. You can reach them local, fast, effective, really solid Maryland small business. You can reach them at 301 251 2900 or on the web at oneviner.com. And Allied Party Rentals for all of your needs, big or small, to host your event as safe as possible and outside tents, chairs, linens, china, and everything else that you're looking for allied, your one-stop shop. You can reach them at 301-986-0067 or on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. And as always, thanks for listening.